And we are back. How are you doing, Ryan? Hey, Jason. It's been a minute, man. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, you too. You too. Uh, how have you been? Uh, I've been good. It's been um, it's been some time, so probably uh, probably catch up a little bit. But yeah, overall, yeah. I mean, we're still here, right? So we're still kicking. Time, and uh, yeah, time flies. It's been over half a year. Um, a lot's changed because when I last spoke to you, I think it was still actually 2020 when we actually had a call. I don't think we actually got to uh, to speak after that. We've been on hiatus just because I was like pretty crazy getting a lot of stuff set up, moving back to Singapore. Um, all set up now yeah. for the most part. I mean, you know, it takes a while to get fully settled in, but um, but kind of in a groove, working, uh, getting reacquainted. Um, but how about you? What have you been up to? Um, yeah, so 2021, right? Um, yeah, I guess early on in the year, um, I was pretty much, um, not hell bent, but you know, I was like, yeah, I think I'm, I think the end is near, um, with my current role, um, okay. that I was, uh, that I was in and I decided to make a couple moves and got really lucky. And like a lot of people, they, um, uh, they think the grass is greener and, <laughs> <laughs> they moved to a more miserable job, but um, <laughs> anyways, the um, it, ultimately it was the better move, and you could probably speak about this as well because, as much as like everyone wants to be happy in their job, and there's there's no doubt about it. I I definitely you know have uh, I definitely want to be in a better place in a year or two from now, but this was definitely the move that I need to make to get to the next move, which is to say that. Sometimes, you know, a nice looking LinkedIn profile and job title, you kind of grab that. It looks good. It diversifies your, you know, portfolio, I guess you could say. And, you know, you want to use that to an ends to a means, right? So that's that's kind of how I'm trying to look at this job. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not hating it okay. because I know I know the potential it could lead to, right? So that's it's kind of what's keeping me grounded. It shows uh shows the world that somebody else also wants to hire you too. Yeah, exactly. It, it, yeah. it is a it is a morale boost in that because I was kind of, um, you know, in my previous role, I was kind of, oh, man, is it like uh, I was I wouldn't say I was doubting myself, but, you know, I knew that there was a better opportunity out there, but just whether or not I could, um, you know, get to that next level. And I think okay. a lot of people are in that position. And what this job got me, like I said, I wasn't expecting it. It was, you know, you and I have talked on offline of who I'm working for. It's, it's a pretty big company and it's, it was, you know, did not think it would happen. And now that it has happened, now I'm kind of, now I'm really, now I'm really trying to do almost like a heat check. I'm, I'm applying to jobs that probably I need like another five to 10 years experience in, but I'm just like, you know, F it, man. Like, let's, let's, let's try. Like, you don't. You know, it's the lottery. You gotta, you gotta yeah. play if you're gonna win. So, um, so that's that's kind of been the good thing. It has been a great ego boost, and now I'm just, you know, now I'm just, now I'm just like Dame Lillard. I'm just shooting from the from the <laughs> logo, you know. And uh, if it goes in, great. If not, you know, always next play. I think that's the right approach. My philosophy is that job markets are inefficient and they favor the candidate. Reason, yeah. what I mean by that is, when you're the candidate and you're applying for jobs, there's dozens or hundreds of different jobs and they're always going to they're kind of come up on a regular basis from repeat companies from new companies and the thing is while different like is the candidate you only need one 
you'll need one buyer. So even if 10 other buyers, you're, like, you're the seller of your services, even if 10 other buyers don't want to hire you, they say, oh, you're too expensive or you just know what we're looking for. All you need is that one buyer who's going to pay your quote. And that's it. Even if even if you're, you're out pricing yourself, like you just need that one buyer. That's why it's inefficient. You just need to exploit that inefficiency for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, I know. Um, and it's hard for me to explain to, say, my parents, for example, you know, my my mom put in like 25 years at an accounting company. My dad put in like 30 years at Loblaws, you know, yeah. uh, before it kind of blew up. And they know, I, I could sense that. Oh, they're like, why are you changing? Make, yeah, a little bit. They're almost okay. like, um, they don't, they don't, this, um, me going from lily pad to lily pad, they're, they're just like, you know, well, whatever happened to like, you know, um, whatever happened to like sticking it out and, and I keep telling him it's like listen I would love to stick it out I would love to be that guy that puts in 10 years and is jaded and puts in another 15 <laughs> years and but that's what I want I'm not you and I have spoken about this even on this show I'm not you know give me the nine to five come home to my family work-life balance that, that's what I want I'm actually trying to find that it, my misery actually comes from you know, taking too much home with me and, okay. you know, putting the extra hours and not getting that work-life balance. I am in search of that. I'm not that kind of guy that's like, you know, needs that challenge. Do I want to work? Um, do I want to work? Uh, do I want a role that excites me and it's enjoyable? Of course, that goes without saying. But, you know, I really am trying to strike that work-life balance. And it just so happens that I have been you know, seemingly hopping from, from place to place, or at least not putting in that, that long tenure anymore. It's, it's, it's hard for, I guess, our parents' generation to, to grasp that. At least it is for my parents, right? I, I think that um, in a previous generation, it just the circumstances were just completely different. Incentives aligned to stay in a company, right? Like, like I think the thing is our generation saw, and that's not going to be true in every family, but certainly enough people around us where you saw different people, different just, functions or groups or entire companies being laid off after you know decades of service or whatever and like our generation saw them and said well we're not going to wait around to just be laid off right um it's also like in terms of if you think about the, you know the the different stats that talk about uh, wage stagnation like if you look at property prices in uh, toronto okay i'm not up to date with how, how expensive stuff is in toronto but i do remember when i lived there which was 10 years ago like salaries were not keeping up with uh, the rate that housing prices were were growing that's not like that from what i was seeing so if that's the case then that sort of means that the only way for you to get ahead is to change jobs that's you know? wow you could not have said any any better because my wife just got crushed we kind of put in a bid um okay. to a bigger home and it, it's it's exactly that like it, it's funny because we're actually in a better position to be in these bids now because I have changed jobs. I, there, we could not even entertain that, you know, a month before. I, I do find it rich that um, it hasn't happened to me, although it kind of did happen when I left my previous role. It's like, oh, why are you leaving? You know, it's just like you really need to like give some people's head a shake sometimes. Number one, <laughs> n- n- number one, none of your none of your goddamn business. None of your goddamn <laughs> business. That's number one. Number two. Um, well, still number two, number not in your goddamn business. Number three, it's like, yeah, you know, I, I, um, yeah, it's like, you know, it's it's different if 
it's different if we were maybe NBA players and you could say, oh, well, why are you going, you know, why are you taking a home ca-? or some NBA players get scrutinized, not just NBA players, but all sorts. But, you know, we, we hear it all the time. You know, some some players take the hometown discount. But, you know, at that point, what's the difference between 19.5 million, 21 a season? Right. But there are some athletes that, that makes all the difference. I can recall, if I remember correctly, Curtis Joseph, the reason why he went to Detroit um, and didn't resign with the Leafs because the, the the teams were so far apart, and in the end, that number was six hundred thousand dollars. That was it. But that's that's. But you know that. And here I am, you know, nickel and diamond compared to what those guys are. But yeah, I, I kind of give my head a there's scratch a, when people. There's a lot that goes into that number because okay, there's there's the there's the tangible and intangible or like the financial, non-financial, like the financial part is, I don't know what his lifestyle is like. I think that as you start to accumulate wealth, like when you're like an NBA, NHL player, an NBA player, like there's lifestyle creep. All of a sudden you can't just live in like, like if LeBron's growing up, he can say, Oh man, it'd be great if I can just get a, like a, like a two bedroom condo in Akron or in, um, in Columbus or something in the city. Right. But then as you start making say a hundred million dollars, you're thinking, well, like, now, like you can, you can start buying like the bigger house in LA, or maybe you'll buy two houses, one in LA and one in say Florida. And then all of a sudden your, your uh, expenses start catching up to what you're making. So, you know, and, and that's, I mean, I know there's going to be some people who say, well, you know, that that's on them. That's on Okay. Well, that's on them, but it, it, you can have your opinion on whether that's right or wrong, but it does explain why some of these players will finagle over like say six hundred thousand dollars because that might mean something financially but then also there's the other part of it which is a bit of ego like curtis joseph okay i'm not not too familiar with that story but there are times where players you know they'll feel slighted like if you are a player and you're sort of leading for your organization and you feel money aside they're not really showing you a certain level of respect and whatever in, in whatever way like you're not feeling like this you're being treated as a human right that you're just being treated like an like a like a pawn, you're gonna hold that to heart, which we saw like with Gordon Hayward when Utah, I think like the restricted free agency, right? I think Woj says it always brings out the worst in players, the worst in everyone, because the teams are like, well, we got his rights. So, you know, like they won't necessarily go out of their way to over like a lot of GMs won't think I'm gonna overpay for someone if no one's gonna offer them and no one wants to offer them because the team will match. And then the players are sort of left dangling, wondering what's going on with their life, right? And then when when a team like the like Jazz were telling Gordon Hayward, hey, you have to go out there and get an offer, or that's what the Knicks were saying to Jeremy Lin many years back, then in the case of Gordon Hayward, you remember you kind of remember that and you're thinking, Wait, well, when my time's up, I'm just gonna go and leave. And then he went to Boston. And there are reasons that pulled him to Boston, like his his head coach his uh, college coach. But still, like different players remember those kinds of things. And then all of a sudden, um, that's sort of being factored in too, I think, when it comes to like uh, the negotiations. Yeah, yeah. And to, to circle back to like my meaningless life, I mean, if, if, I'm, le- if I'm leaving somewhere and, you know, and of course, I'm probably, it, it's safe to assume that I am leaving for, for better pay and, and better title and, and perks and whatnot. Um, but, you know, it's, whether I'm doing it for a lifestyle reason or I have a cocaine addiction or whatever it is, it's, I, yeah, you're, you're right. Or maybe I do feel slighted. Maybe I was, you know, um, maybe it's just a spite move. Maybe I was 
um, expecting a promotion. I didn't get it. And, and I just left for a lateral move just to say, screw you to company X and I'm going to leave for company Y. Right. So, um, but anyway, so that, um, you know, to sum it all up, the job change. Oh, I have a, a, okay. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Yeah. Mm. Just one comment on that is my advice to anybody, to any friend who's ever in such a situation is, is don't spite yourself just to like, don't go scorched earth there. In, in general, you know what I mean? You should always yep. be, uh, uh, because it's just a bit like, it's a bit of game of chess. You kind of have to still like, yes, um, that maybe you've, maybe that other party, the manager, team, company, whoever has shown their true colors. Like, okay, well, they don't have my best interest in heart. And that's not, maybe it's not malicious. Maybe they're just like, well, look, I may be five on the pecking order of their favorite uh, workers of, of my level. And then like the, the next three who are going to make it to like that next level are really like Jim, John and, and Greg, you know, and they, they like me, but just don't like me as much as them. Okay, fine. But um, putting aside the, the personalization of putting aside that emotion and just like, okay, well, now I don't fit in on this team. I need to find out some other place I'm going to go and it's going to be a better situation. Don't be rushing into it. So um, I'm trying to think of an, an analogy. I guess maybe Ray Allen, when he left the Celtics, he's like, he could have signed with the Celtics and they would have paid him more money. Okay. That's a bit, I don't know. People talk about him sliding the Celtics. I think he wanted to play. And I think he thought he wasn't going to get playing time behind Avery Bradley. Um, when, when he eventually went to the Miami Heat, but, uh, but it's just like figuring out how to just be like, I'm going to put myself in a better position. It's going to improve myself. And if it slights the other party well that's more of a ancillary benefit but you don't really gain anything from that anyway uh, that's my take find a way to maximize your own position especially if it's in um i mean the world i'm in it's pretty small i can imagine someone's in finance you know you don't what are you gonna do like yeah, exactly. Yeah, what, are you, what are you gonna do? Like motherfuck everyone at Deloitte only to, go to K- <laughs> only to go to like HSBC or something where like everyone knows each other there too, right? So it, it makes no sense. Um, I'm not in yeah, finance, by the way. Um, but uh yeah, so anyways, um job aside, uh yeah. the the one thing I wasn't expecting that is is the complete work from home because I had a really I had a really cushy situation where I um I was actually kind of doing a hybrid model. I would uh, part of my role was to kind of maintain um, office operations, building operations. So um, I got to go in a couple hours of work, come home, you know, maybe hop okay. on the computer later in the day, super flexible. Um, okay. And just being stuck at home has been, it's, it's, it's definitely something I will never get used to. Um, oh. But you like going not to the I do. Yes. Okay. I think, I think that I, I become that office guy when I'm at an office. Um, okay. I, I just love it. Just the small things. And yeah. funny thing is I actually, the things I miss are the things that I hate. Like I, you know, <laughs> the, the creepy guy in marketing, you know, talking about his weekend and stuff, you know, um, little things like that, little idiosyncrasies. It just, it just keeps me really level. Um, yeah. Just something about it. I, I'm definitely one of those people that needs the, um, the human interaction. I think you and I okay. spoke about one time when, um, you know, if we had to be bubbled, um, it wouldn't be the, the worst thing. And, and I okay. was, I, I think it would have oh, been yeah, true yeah. if I was an MBA. 
yeah, I think it would have been true had I been an NBA player and, you know, got to live in a bubble. But still, my job was to go in to interface with other people. But to do both, just to live and work out of my home, it's it's tough. So You were really uh, averse to this, the concept of having to isolate and, like, be, like you, you cited the those all-in resorts somewhere in Cuba or somewhere in the Caribbean before. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I got to get out of here. Yeah, you yeah, know, I guess that, that, that does affect some people. Um, um, like, in the office environment, some people the way they think like I'm going to the office and I'm all in on work. And like, this is my, it's like going to the gym. Some people can't work out at home. They got to go to the gym to work out. They need to see other people working out get motivated. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I I've changed over the years. Like I think I used to feel that way about the office. Um, but I think I, I do prize the flexibility, not having to deal with commutes. Um, well, working in Singapore now, I do work kind of odd hours because I still have my team in San Jose. So I'll work, um, to kind of catch them in their mornings, which, you know, so it all sort of works out um, for the most part. And I'll say that working late at night in Singapore does feel different than working late at night in San Jose, just because when you're in like the city, you still sort of see this, not lots of activity, like you're in Tokyo or New York, but there's still this feeling like, oh, like it's still sort of awake to a degree. Whereas when you're in San Jose at like 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., you're just like, there's the lights are not really that bright on the streets. You just... It's very quaint. You're just like, right, I'm, I'm ready to like wash up and get ready for bed. Like that's just right. totally diff- it's a different, different kind of environment. Um, um, but I was so what's your, yeah, we're going to, I was going to add more, you know, um, piggybacking off that. How was, um, you know, 2020, um, yeah. into 2021, you said you were more settled in now. Does that mean that you're, um, yeah, so I, it's, uh, I think you I think you were talking about your feng shui or whatever's kind of setup <laughs> you got it. You, I know you're a minimalist, so is is that still the case today, or you're um, you splurged a little bit? No, I well, I'm I'm a minimalism a minimalist in terms of I'm, I'm not I don't think of myself as a high materialist. I don't really buy too many things unless it's needed, particularly for my son, I guess. Um, and then when he grows up, he buys his own stuff. Then I guess I just won't buy anything. Uh, re, just kind of catching up with different friends. But it was tougher because. There was like, when I showed up, um, things were sort of just operating normally. Like everything was still in lockdown in the U.S. and Canada. And then in Singapore, things were just running because there were, there were no infections, no community infections. So people just wear their masks and go about, they don't really think about it. Then in the past, like three, four months, um, there was like, there was a second wave and now a third wave. And so they started shutting, for the second wave, they shut down the different restaurants and like, and then they got down the... They got the community infections down to zero per day. So then, okay, start opening stuff up again. And then within like a week or two, boom, it was like 130 per day. So then now there's like, we're in like a wave three. So stuff is being, stuff is shut down. Basically not a full shutdown. Like it wasn't like last year when I understand where they just literally shut all the stores down. Here it's like any activity that would require you to remove your mask, like eating in a restaurant or like those spas, we have to do some kind of facial you know, those kinds or like a, like a barbershop, if you're getting a shave, like anything that would, you have to take your mask off. Those businesses are shut down. Any, any gyms, those stuff are shut down for the time being. I just got my vaccine yesterday. Actually, I just got my second shot yesterday. Mm. So I think people are adjusting to the idea that no, it's, it's, it's going to not be just zero. And I, and to a degree, when we talk about third wave here, like the second wave was about 30, 30 infections per day, 30 cases per day, roughly, you know, that would be a high end. And now it's like 130. But I mean, I don't know what it is around Canada, U.S. right now, or the different cities there. But I know it's probably a lot higher. Um, yeah. Well, Florida just reported twenty-one thousand in one day. Okay. Um, but but the, but but you yeah. can 
but the, the correlation between new cases, ICUs and vaccinations, it's, it's like one-to-one, man. I mean, it's, it's not even close. So U S has a, you know, just a different animal to tackle. Whereas Canada, we're trying, our, our, our debates are over, you know, vaccine passports and certain restaurants requiring that you show proof of this. And, you know, we still get the odd protests, of course, but it's more of um, the vaccine is here. Most people are vaccinated. We really want a hundred percent vaccinated. We, the stigma I noticed about from a month ago that, situation was okay well we're not going to get everyone on board right everyone's got these you know and ran libertarian rights and you know we got to deal with it now i feel like you know even trudeau and uh john tory the mayor of toronto and um and 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 dougie ford they're they're of the mind it's like we don't want ten thousand people affecting the lives of like a hundred thousand people so the the tone and tenure has changed a little bit and i'm completely on board with that i'm completely on board with you know gunpoint at this point you know get your goddamn shot i i i i think you and i have talked about it how like why is it that some of the dictators have gotten this right um but uh yeah so that that's where canada is right now we're really just trying to nudge um the few straddlers to like come on get on with the program right i'd say um and and in terms of supply like it's just it's all available People can go and get their vaccines if they are ready. Trudeau, I believe a week ago, said that we have um, the supply we need for everyone to get their second uh, doses. So, yeah, supply is not an issue anymore. So first doses, for sure. People can go get them. Second doses is okay. So, like, is it just you just show up at your doctor's and then you just get a shot or do you have to schedule an appointment or how does it work there? Um, so you'll remember Shoppers Drug Mart. Uh, that's where yeah. I went for my second vaccine uh, shot. They had it available. We did this about, I remember it was the, it was the Portugal Belgium game. So we're okay. talking month and a half ago, a uh, month right. ago. Um, first shot, uh, we made it online. We were able to kind of bypass because, um, well, we we didn't lie. We we said we are caregivers. We have you know, yeah. uh, son with special needs. We got elderly parents, so that you know there was it was no issue getting it there. Uh, that one was done through Halton Healthcare, okay. um, so that that was a big production, right? You get in, it's a long lineup. Um, okay. You're triaged. The second shot was to show up at a pharmacy, and a pharmacist was there, so because um, it was available. It was available. There was a lot of, as you know, it's like, you know, it it gets to be like beer before liquor, never been sicker. It's like, oh, you can't have the Moderna shot with the AstraZeneca and you can't have AstraZeneca with, um, you you know, Flintstones vitamins. And yeah, and then different parts of the world, different, you know, Fauci had to say one thing. And then Our Lady here, I forget her name, her last name's Tam. Yep. She was saying the opposite, but then, you know, Doug Ford and Trudeau were like, nope, we're getting, we're, we, we got, we got mixed vaccines. Look at us. And you know what? Good on them to be quite honest. Yeah. Tr- I believe okay. Trudeau and Doug Ford each got first dose AstraZeneca, second dose Moderna, if I'm, if, if, if my math is correct. Okay. So they were kind of like, you know, you're fine. And we, we, you know, we support the science that's out there that says it's okay to do this despite what other parts. So yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. It's a bit of, you know, they're, they're playing a little bit of hot potato, but at the end of the day, they're pretty much online that it, it is a unified front, which is good to see um, from everyone can, I think Manitoba, they're, they're a little bit different, but apart from them. Um, okay. Yeah. Our messaging is pretty strong. Like I said, we're just, if anything, now we're in nudge mode. 
So it's been very interesting to kind of sort of keep tabs a little bit on how the different countries are rolling this out. Like, number one, I did expect the, I mean, despite everything happening in the U.S. last year, like the chaos, I was expecting that they were going to be the first country to have the vaccines. I mean, they're the country that basically put all the money into all the research. And then, you know, it's just sort of how it works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, they're the first one. They're the first country that gets the iPhone, the first country that gets, like, whatever new consumer offering. I just forget they're going to be the first ones to get vaccines, at least available. Um, and then it was interesting that apparently like they were just, you could just go into like any pharmacy and, and really just random places and get these vaccines. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Cause you saw like in, um, in Japan, one of the reasons they have a fairly low vaccination rate, which is why it's been kind of an issue over there during these Olympics was the fact that I believe, um, it, you got to go to the doctor. That's where you get your shot. That's where I would have expected it would be like an actual like healthcare facility or organization, like the way it works in Singapore is there's the government website, you register and they already have their queue set up. It's like they prioritize whatever age group first, the old people first, and then they're getting progressively younger. So they, and we didn't have the supply, which kind of surprised me because it was a pretty small population, but you know, they were getting through the 40 something year olds. And then we had the second wave and that's when somehow they had all this bunch of vaccines started. Okay. We got extra supply now. Now we can start pulling in appointments and then, um, everything was all like pretty, it was all coordinated on their online system. So then you pick your facility, which tells you which vaccine is going to be. But then when you pick that facility, you're picking your first date and your second date. They have like the, the controls in the system to make sure it's not going to be like more than two weeks early. Like they have, the, the, so then I was, that's why I was wondering when you go, when you're getting your vaccines in Canada, can they actually spot who's getting what vaccine where and when? And like, because here they know, they already know clearly it's got it in the system. I'm waiting for my app to get updated in like about two weeks to show that I've been vaccinated. Um, and uh, yeah, just, I was just, it was just really interesting to think about the, the different approaches because, for example, like there's a, we hear, I'm hearing from some people who are plugged in, like just there are different, for example, my son's daycare, there are some of the workers there who they're, they, you know, once they're anti-vaxxers the one group of people where they're they're almost philosophically opposed to having to take a vaccine and then there's vaccine hesitant people who are just kind of unsure and they don't really know enough and then they're a little hesitant but then once they see more people take it and it's fine then they'll probably just take it right um so there's some people who are hesitant they're like no i'm waiting for the, the vaccine from china so like singapore has they've ordered a bunch of the sinovac from china so you've got um you got a one contingent. They're waiting for they were they're waiting for Pfizer and Moderna. I know one of my friends' relatives. They're from China. They were here, so they actually delayed their trip going back to China because they wanted to just get the Pfizer vaccine here in Singapore before going back. And then you got other people here who just said, "Nah, I, I like the, the the vaccine that's from Asia because they're Asian and they have the belief that it's going to be more suited to their biology." Ah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not well, gonna take. I'm glad I got the Pfizer vaccine. I'll say that much. You got Pfizer. Yeah, we 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 got it. We got it too. Um, in my family, only my mother got Moderna. Um, okay. Interestingly enough, yeah. I did get some side effects. I was pretty much catoed after. Say, like, yeah, like 24 hours later, it just hit me. Mind you, um, I do react to the flu shot. I do get my flu shot every year. Have been for a while, so it's it's a feeling i'm used to in fact i kind of like prepare for it just <laughs> you know <laughs> okay ever ever everything laid out but that's uh that's super cool and yeah i just get to veg out and 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 speaking of vegging out i have been um you touched on exactly what kind of my 2021 has been because you know everything that happened last year and the events of like january 6th and in washington it was just 
um, it's not even something consciously that I said, I like enough of this, but I have been, um, I've just been in a, in a, in a phase where like, if there's prime Ryan and heal Ryan, I've been like, I've been less heelish. I've been like, you know, I'll, I'll stuff that I used to find corny, for example, I'll just be like, you know what, man, this makes me, this puts smiles on people, you know, like I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm watching like, um, I'm really hesitant to watch almost like new shows and new movies. I'm just watching stuff that's, you know, it's, it's not like it's feel good stuff. I'm watching like Narcos and, um, okay. And, and breaking bad, but it, but it's stuff that takes me back a couple of years ago and it made me happy. And I know it just, you know, even though the, the subject matter is kind of, kind of dark, it's just, you know, it just, again, I just want to feel, I want to feel happy as much as possible. It's almost like a comfort um, programming. Familiar. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's almost like a, it's almost like a Sam Harris meditation, like one one on one thing that he's got going on there. Um, yeah, so I've just been, and I think what um, you know for me, what hit me hard, um, celebrity deaths are interesting for me, and you know, you and I, especially, we've, we've dealt with a lot. Of, <laughs> what a lead in. Yeah, and especially so, like, um, especially like uh, even wrestling deaths. You know, some just. Okay hit me hard like like you know i was um you know uh, owen hart you know hit me a lot and for, for but for whatever reason you know new jack hit me a lot and eddie and chris were like i love them but it's just it's 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 just weird I, I i'm not even gonna get into it because it's just it's just a funny thing of how some people just you know linger and i remember like when paul walker died it hit me well it, it kind of happened full circle when when dmx passed away earlier in the year that okay. just that floored me because I was a late, if, if DMX was like, you know, the, if the DMX bandwagon was rolling in when, you know, when you and I were in high school, I was definitely late to the party. There was other people that were like, oh, DMX is the man, the man. I'm like, mm, I'm not really feeling him. It took me a few <laughs> years. It took me a few years to get on his bandwagon. But then when I finally did, I just, I loved the guy and just, it just, um, so when he passed away, it just, you know, I'm like, you know what? Um, there's too much going on in my life. Um, new job this guy just died. Um, you know, it's, um, I'm well, well past the Trump presidency. I'm not even going to engage people online. Yes, I will. You know, if there's the odd anti-vaxxer out there, I might comment, chime in a little <laughs> bit. I showed you a back and forth of me and disco Inferno on, on Twitter. So, so there's like, there's like little moments I'll do that, but I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of fatigued right now and it, it's a good thing. I think it's given me a, a more sober perspective. So yeah. So a lot of 2021 has just been watching like the office and Narcos and just stuff that I, it, it just, it, it's, it's my comfort zone. I even find myself listening to like the same 10 songs in one week. It's, it's, it's a weird thing as well. Um, so it's been an interesting year. Um, and I think, uh, I think just talking to you again and, you know, maybe if we can just, um, you know, churn out, a, um, a few more recordings every once in a while that that will, that will go a long way as well. At least for my mental. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me too. Talking about, uh, like vegging out or like just kind of comfort watching. So when I, when we last spoke, I was talking about how I just kind of picked up survivor, like I picked it up during Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving and it was my first time watching it since like season two, I'd say, you know, 18 years prior, 20 years prior. So anyway, I picked it up and I've gone through season by season. Right. I, I, when I spoke to you, I was around season, you know, um, in the single digits. Now I'm at about season 36 now. So it's, wow. uh, yeah. I, if, if I recall, you were last on season five or seven. So you've watched <laughs> 20 more since then. Wow. 
Watch it. You know, I, I think you would get into it if you allow, if you watch it. <sighs> if any, anyone who's a fan of wrestling can easily become a fan of Survivor. I mean, it just you've got everything from building up a story and a plot, and you have a number of characters. You can't quite figure out who's going to win. And, me, and you can kind of have ideas, but sometimes it's expected. Sometimes it's someone unsuspecting. Sometimes there's all these twists and turns, and that's just part of the game. It never seems forced because it's expected that this is the game, that there are all these twists and turns. Then as every year goes by, the, the gameplay just gets a little more sophisticated, a little more sophisticated. The players themselves become a little more informed, a little smarter. So it's like if you think about wrestling from like the early WrestleManias, you know, it's all it's all kayfabe. And then in the later years, okay, fine, like kayfabe's a bit broken. We know all the backstory, the stuff happening backstage, like Shawn Michaels at, uh, having his run in with the Undertaker before the WrestleMania 14 match, where he had to lose to Austin, where Undertaker had to like kind of threaten him. So it's mm-hmm. like there that you can see like the real life tension between these guys. They're taking it really seriously. And and you can kind of see that in the game of Survivor where you get this tension as a game, but then people are losing their cool, relationships are being busted. But then as you get to the later seasons, it's just like informed players, they know, hey, this is a game, I might get blindsided. And all of a sudden, you go from kayfabe only to, okay, the kayfabe's gone, but we know like what's happening, but we kind of know the tension of the players and we see that, to all of a sudden now, players who get blindsided walk off like feeling this great almost honor and being blindsided that they were seen like they take a bit of pride in that they there's um it's like they're almost like in on the game and it's like the right mix right right now where it's they're taking the game seriously but you can see them showing respect to each other past the game there's no grudges the way there was in the earlier seasons but then i what you're gonna worry about which will happen eventually is when they don't take the game seriously anymore. And then all of a sudden it's just a farce. It's just become a farce, a parody of itself, which is, I think where WrestleMania is at this point is basically a parody of itself. People showing up, they want to be Instagram stars. They go and they, they somehow get into the, they get into the WrestleMania and then they're really just performing to perform and they're not performing as the way a wrestler would. And they're using the word perform. They're not using the word wrestle. So I think that's where that, that's, that's where it is. It's the arc. That's, I keep seeing this, uh, this narrative. And then, yeah. Super fairs. It's um it, it covers the cultural like zeitgeist of America. If you look at over the seasons, like different socioeconomic or political issues coming up on the show, like 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 dynamics between people, like like minority groups, or there's the housing crisis. Somebody had to come in because they got their home foreclosed on in 2008, and like you had veterans coming back with PTSD. You had cultural icons like Jimmy Johnson and John Rocker showing up, like trying to compete in this game. Um, well, I knew I knew about John Rocker. Coach Jimmy Johnson was on Survivor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That's right. It was it that's was funny because like they just show up and then they don't. They, yeah. they, they just run the game the same way, so they don't make a fuss. Here's Jimmy Johnson. Not everybody knows who Jimmy Johnson is. Like not everybody loves no. football, but but you have like some of these guys who do know him. Like you got the one guy who's just commenting to the camera, like I don't know why Jimmy Johnson is here right now. And that makes me very suspicious. And so then his mission. <laughs> was to try and get this guy out of the game. And he eventually did. That's um, hilarious. Just a few oh, names. Do you, do you remember Jeff Kent, baseball player? Uh, the baseball player. Yeah, he played uh, – he was a J, and then he went to the uh, Giants. Yeah, so he, and he was on. He actually did quite well. Like, he uh, he got to the jury stage, which means you actually got yeah. out of the game. Do you remember uh, NFL player Brad Culpepper? Uh, I remember Dante Culpepper, not Brad, though. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. 
Because, yeah, I for, was like looking him up on Wikipedia and it didn't look like he was that celebrated. He but was anyways, Randy, so. he was Randy, he was Randy Moss's first uh, quarterback, if I believe. Yeah. Well, first Dante. good quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Dante. Dante yeah. yeah. Dante Coleman. Yeah. Unless he had a brother named Brad. Because I know like those shows play, you know, a little bit loose with, because I know Aaron Rodgers' brother, for example, was on like Bachelor or anything or something like that. So, um, <laughs> So the, the the funny thing is, I'm getting it from from both sides. Like, so my wife is a massive um, Survivor and Big Brother fan. So again, I've been watching Big Brother and Survivor in the background for at least okay. ten years now. And even before that, you know, on the uh, you know, I I know people that that watch it and talk about it. So I've always kind of had to keep an ear. And you know what, I I don't mind not knowing about this shit. You know what I mean? I don't want to be one of those. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to be one of those guys. I hate those guys. That, like, don't know who the Kardashians is. Like, yeah, you do. You, in fact, you know all their names because unless you're living <laughs> under a rock, um, you're you're purposely suspending, um, not knowing things if you don't know, you know, kind of what these cultural things are. So, the thing with uh, Survivor and Big Brother is, I'll watch it and maybe I don't like something because I think the person's dumb, or I would have said something better or wittier, or I would have cut a promo on someone. And I'll just be like, this is the dumbest show ever. But funny enough, and I'll tell you his, his name offline. I actually know, uh, so Big Brother Canada, I actually know one of the producers. And he's actually kind of gone up to me and said, Ryan, I can't get you on the show, but I can maybe get you an audition and you'd be fantastic. So <laughs> here I am, here I am for years saying Survivor produces the stupidest content, the stupidest <laughs> people. Same thing with Big Brother. Dumbest people, dumbest content. And this guy, one day at a bar with my wife and I there, was just like, hey, I can get you on Big Brother. I'm like, yeah, uh, put me in coach. Like right now. I got instantly excited because I think you're right. <laughs> I, I think I think it is one of those things. It's like it is ordinary people. And, yeah. you know, for me, it's like I think I can do better one thing what they do but you know i guess subconsciously i kind of do like the show i just might like it better if if i could partake in and see see how i would do so it's it's funny it's one of those things that i hate it, i hate it, i hate it hey man do you want to be part of the show yeah man i love it <laughs> so i would in, in a in a heartbeat i would do that show and and i would probably like everything else in life just have a a profound new respect for something because everything it's true what they say everything looks easy on tv and it, it probably is i don't think i could um i don't think i can get that granular like you do um but i do respect someone like you i do respect a lot of and like i said i've said this before the people that are big brother and survivor fans i there's i, I could not pick them out in a million years i would never <laughs> have pegged them for that you know it's almost just like oh my god you're a trump supporter like it just it just blindsides you right because here you are thinking you know someone and then they they hit you with that missile so that's funny so wow so season 36 you're on i think it's that 35 36 i'm gonna i'm gonna check there's 40 in total mm. i believe oh um, wow and i yeah, so we're around the 2018 range now. So that's oh, really okay. interesting too to watch the arc of the progress of technology. In season one, they have VHS, like they're showing like uh, videos of the family back home. They wheel out this big box TV with a VCR on it, and they got to put in this video cassette. But then, the, like later seasons, they're like, hey, look at this internet internet cafe we created, and you're know, typing on this mm -hmm. big huge mm -hmm. computer, like prodigy internet, and then. Mm -hmm. Um, and now they're, they're now it's uh, obviously up to date. Um, in can, can I can I can I can I tell you whose job I could not do? And he's freaking fantastic, and he should get into sports. 
who's yeah. the host again? Jeff Probst. Jeff Probst. That's interesting. Okay, so I got opinions on him. Tell me what you. Oh my. Okay, the way he calls those stupid games like mud <laughs> wrestling or whatever. He first of all, he knows everyone's names. I'm assuming he doesn't have a teleprompter yeah. in front of him. You know what? Even <laughs> if he has, even if he has a producer in his ear, even if it's a lot of it's post edit. Um. Because that's what I'm into, right? Again, you and I watching wrestling all these years, you know, like the way Jim Ross was able to call matches and, yeah. you know, just you just have such a profound respect for, for you know, guys like him, Marv Albert, who just retired, tie into basketball. So watching him just call this and he's actually, he gets me kind of jacked up when he's calling those, <laughs> those competitions. It's like, man, you're pretty good. You're into it. You're calling it beautifully. So I tip my cap to him because that guy could probably, I'm <laughs> sure he's well paid and I'm sure he's not looking to like cover ESPN three lacrosse. Um, but he, but I think he could is what I'm trying to say. Like that guy could easily, um, <laughs> okay. Let me ask you this. Would you want, <laughs> if you could, if you could, if you, if you could make Jeff pros call Raptors games over Matt devil and tomorrow, would you do oh, it? Yeah. 100, oh. 100. <laughs> I, I'll say though, the thing about Probst's job, it's it is something else because aside from calling those physical competitions, he's kind of like, and I don't know what the cuts are like, how much impro- like how much is how much is overproduced, like you said, like how much is in, in post production. But for him to react to a lot of the things that are happening before and after competitions, kind of picking up on facial expressions and people and probing with questions, and then when he gets to tribal council, he's got to like be this moderator to facilitate this discussion. Mm-hmm. And then play like pick on what's happening, feel the moment. Sometimes he just sort of breaks what the usual protocol is, and he just sort of you have to feel that out, and you have to have a real special touch for that. And then when the person leaves, he's always got this quip at the end. And I'm thinking, how much of that is post production? He's standing there with everyone there. I don't know how you could edit that. Like no. you're not gonna. I couldn't imagine you're gonna have the people there and then do like five different takes of a of a quip. Um, it's hard for me to imagine he's, that because it, he's it's still a reality. He's show. absolutely talented. He's absolutely talented. Um, and then you get to the finale where he's going to jack up a live crowd because the finale is always the live crowd in uh, Studio City in LA. So he can host live too to an audience and sort of manage a live show where you have to go from point A to B to Z all like within your hour. So that's it's a real talent, I think. I'll say this though the one criticism I have. Right around season 28, when they started doing that live show at the end, or no, they've always been doing live shows, but it's just, as around season 28, I think he starts to feel himself a little bit. Like, you can kind of see a little bit of arrogance coming out of him in, like, in certain ways. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I don't know. Like, it's a bit like, uh, I'm trying, I was trying to think of a wrestling announcer who's, who's hit that, and I don't know if, I wouldn't say Michael Cole, because I think I still always enjoyed Michael Cole's uh, work, and I haven't really kept up with who's even calling stuff anymore, to be honest. But uh, that's the one gripe about him. He's uh, feeling himself a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think some people don't like the fact that he's got favorites. You know, like one contestant straight up called out the fact that he seems to show his favorites when he refers to somebody by their last name. Um, um... He continues to do that. But anyway, like it's it's part of the gimmick. I, I mean, I, I like there's that human element to this. Um, but it's uh, it is one show that. Um, would be really intriguing, but the reason I would never do it is I couldn't live out there like with the bugs and all that stuff. Oh my goodness, we just came back from camping and three days was enough. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I definitely I would want to do Big Brother um, over okay. Survivor, but I would I would do them both in a heartbeat. Number one, just to be on TV. Yeah, okay. I think 
people who know me would get a kick out of it and that would, you know, kind of boost my ego a little bit. And I would just, as long as I'm not the first one out. Uh, oh, can I, tell you my, can I tell you my strategy? Okay. I'll tell you my strategy right now. Okay. Do you remember Hulk Hogan joining NWO Wolfpack, but he still had to babysit NWO black and white? So what happened, and, 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 and I mean, I mean, black and white at that time was uh, Vincent, Horace Hogan, Brian <laughs> Adams, and That's like right. Conan. It was, you know, I don't want to say bottom feeders because I got a lot of respect for for Conan and, you know, Virgil's hilarious. But so what Hulk Hogan did in one brilliant skit, I mean, in, in, in a Thunder was he went up to all four of them individually and he goes, Brian Adams, you know, you're going to lead the NWO black and white, right? You know, that's a given brother, right? He goes, oh, Hulk, that's, that's amazing. Um, uh next um um next next segment he goes up to vincent vincent hey brother you know you're the leader of the nwo black and white right i mean there's, there's it's only been you it's of course you you're gonna lead these other three guys oh yeah thanks brother so he goes up to each of the four of them and says that they're the leader and when i saw that i'm like that's that's the best thing i've ever heard in my life and maybe it's been done on one of these shows before but i would totally be that guy okay well i would i would do it in a in um you know in a wrestling kind of way where i would just go up to them and be like hey you know you're the guy right you don't got to worry about being voted off shake my hand you know you can trust me and then that'd be my angle um but i think for me to be in that position i'd probably have to i'd probably have to make it pretty far to have that kind of stroke so so the beauty uh, of survivor that stops that from happening. So Russell Hance, right? He was the most famous villain of the show because he was doing that. He called it his dumb girl alliance because he was just going up to every single girl. On the oh, tribe that's and, hilarious. And making this kind of deal. And then when he would, he would, and then he got to the final. It was pretty amazing because whatever reason, his tribe, they lost the team competition. So then by the time they merged, it was four of them versus eight of the other, of the other squad. And then, one by one, the four led by him managed to pick off all eight people. Um, and it was through a lot of chicanery, a lot of just really hard work and just some, it was a really good season without going into the minutiae. But then he gets to the final. So it's three of that final four. He by far played kind of the most strategic game, worked the hardest, all that. But he didn't win because the winning, the winners are decided by the jury, the people you voted out. So if you are rubbing everybody the wrong way too far, if you're pushing everybody too far, you can't, you, people don't even respect you. They don't like you. They won't necessarily give you the million dollars. They won't make you the winner. So I have a, then, I have a solution for that. Okay, go on. He, 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 he gets called back to come the next season, which was, which was the heroes versus villains. So he did back-to-back mm. seasons, gets to the final again. A lot of the same tactics still doesn't win again. Didn't get, <sighs> get, did not get, I don't even know if he got a single vote in either of these. So then he comes to complain to probes in the live show. This is when I started to, when it's really picking up steam because this is all live. He's just like, there's a flaw in the game. And then probes like, there's a flaw in the game. If there's a flaw in the game, if it allows Sandra to win over me. So then you got the fans and the audience cheering. And then they got mm. Boston Rock, who himself was a villain. And he just says, he, con- he chimes in, he says, Russell wants to get to the he he works to get to the end, but not to win the game. That's the thing. That's the catch about Survivor. Unlike any other competition like the NFL, the NBA, where you could just run up the mm-hmm. score and run up the score, the final the win isn't about you playing the hardest because that might actually work against you. That's the challenge. So, I've, again, for someone that hates Survivor and hates Big Brother, I've, I've obviously thought about this over the years. If I were ever on the show, so. 
I too would pull heel moves to get to the finals. And I would think that I'm assuming this guy was pretty popular. I think that my job would to be, would be to be a, a popular guy and to kind of stand out my strategy at the end, when you're giving the big speech and you know that none of these people want to vote for you, my pitch would be like, listen, no one's going to care if you choose this other jabroni next to me on the stage, you all have an opportunity to go back. I'll be like, Gus, you have an opportunity to go back to Home Depot in uh, in Austin, Texas, knowing that you voted for Ryan Viegas to win Survivor. And I would make that promo for everyone out there. I would put it to that they have a responsibility to go back to whatever, you know, whatever city they're from, a hero, because they did the right thing on the show. That would be my promo. That would be like my way of like ginning up the people that are going to vote for me saying that like, you can't go back home and not have picked the right guy. Your families will disown you. Your, your, uh, your wife will leave you. That that's, that's my promo. That, that would, that would be my, that would be my strategy. It probably wouldn't work, but it would be a good TV moment. And I'd be fine with that. In following so. seasons, that pitch has been made. Um, no like, way. Really? Some people oh, have, you have to like, tell me. You just in the last me. season. There was oh, um, the one woman who was a mother of two, and she was like, she'd been trying to get on for 16 years since the first season, and she was like 47. She somehow got to the end. She just dominated the physical challenges, and then she just made a comment that like, hey, like, like who you select as the winner is the representative for our season, and mm. and like, like, I forget exactly the word for the words that she chose, but there was that, and then um, and then sometimes you get advocates who say like, you know. Who like when Boston Rob played again his fourth time, um, like some someone spoke to he's just like I'm not even gonna. There was three of them up there. He's like I'm not even gonna talk to this other guy. So I'm just gonna focus on these two. I'm not even gonna say anything to you. I have no questions. I'm just gonna talk to the jury. And then the the and it wasn't actually Rob. He just the the jurist just said, Hey, look, one guy played the best game of all time. Like, and we have mm-hmm. a duty to the game to to like honor it and know like we select the winner who played the game the best and it was this guy and that's happened a couple times actually usually from an advocate on the jury um but it's like because it's getting smarter and it's less like there's a game within the game and people see the game beyond the game when they leave like you're talking like this like what you described like that's the thing it's it's much more sophisticated and mature now like if you look at season one like no strategy no alliances yeah like one alliance of four and then all of a sudden, a few seasons later, this other group of five people who are all on the bottom and they're not talking to each other. They realize, hey, wait, there's five of us. Let's just all band together and then just overthrow the other four. And then that, that was the first time it happened. And all of a sudden, now if you were on top, you were you were like in danger. And so you had to sort of be careful. And then like, I don't know, like the game just got more and more sophisticated. And now it's not even like alliances, but it's like voting blocks. And it's like shifting and shifting and nobody holds grudges anymore. It's, it's just really different. So um so yeah, okay. That, that, that I guess I gotta get. Wow. Okay, you've kind of blown my mind a little bit. So, I might have to. Uh, might have there, to. Uh, there so, are some but... epic post uh, finale, like finale speeches in the travel final travel council. Now they've sort of changed the format in the last couple of seasons, but um, there are some epic ones, like uh, horrible, great, like emotional, angry, like anything runs the gambit It's unscripted. It's just like, it's, these are people yeah. just saying some shit to other people. It's crazy. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you, uh, try send me a clip of just, I want to, I want to see the promo of like a guy saying why, or the girl of why it's, it's your duty to pick me and like shame yeah. on you going back to your, <laughs> 
shame on you going back to your Peckerwood family, you know, thinking that you like picked the wrong guy. That's what I would be, right? I wouldn't try and like, you know, if I'm already there, I'm probably already playing a bit of a character. I would just go full heel on people and, you know, it, it might work, might not. But um, I think my job, because I would be one of those guys that would be on that show just to be famous. And I think if you stand out a little bit, I think that's what's missing. I remember, I remember a few of the people in the first survivor did get like, you know, movie roles after that a little oh, bit. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't quite seen that recently. So no, it was different I, in season one. It was the, it was just like captured the imagination of an entire country back in season one. Right. I mean, yeah, it would be like uh, the equivalent of, I'm trying to think in wrestling, what it would be like, re- oh, like rock and wrestling. Uh, no, I meant cause... like, Okay, when, I, I know when, what you mean. When, probably like Hogan and Mr. T. Like, it had to be something. Mm, like, when Hulk okay. Hogan's on this cover of Sports Illustrated, that's a really yeah. huge deal. And yes, wrestling yeah. is bigger than it ever was then. But in terms of the cultural zeitgeist, um, it just, it's never been that. Now it's just sort of part of the culture, but it's not a, you know, you can even argue that the NBA, it's, cult, it's cultural peak. Uh, no, let's not, let's not do that because I'm going to say something wrong. I was going to talk about Jordan and the Jazz there because... That's NBC primetime, but then they have ABC primetime now. So that's wrong. But uh, I, I I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But uh, yeah, I, I think that I think the fear is to go on that show and to have someone call you out saying, oh, you just want to be famous. And then that's when you turn to them and go, that's right, Julia. I do want to be famous. And I'm going to like be famous <laughs> because, you know, and you just cut a promo on oh, poor Julia, right? Because she brings that, that up. That does get called out on the show sometimes yeah, by, by other contestants and even probes yeah. sometimes. Oh, fantastic! Because fantastic. the thing is, one of the, 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 the there are some contestants who will just quit. They'll quit um, now. Sometimes there's good reasons, like you're straight up broken down. But there's others who just sort of get tired and then they walk. And Probes has done interviews. He said when they bring back people in following seasons, like Boston Rob did four times. But if somebody quits, they'll never bring them back because it ruins the game for everybody. Right? You're you're changing the fates of everybody. There was one girl, Nayanka. She decided, she was talking to the camera, you know, I'm just not feeling this anymore. She was tired of the rain and sleeping outside. And she was doing well because she was in the jury stage. And then she's just like, I'm going to quit. And then um, I don't remember if there was a testimonial by somebody else who said they're going to quit. But anyway, Neonka said that. Then they go to the reward challenge. She's on the team that wins the reward. Reward, like you get a meal. Like these guys are not eating, so a meal is a big deal. She says after the reward to probes, yeah, I'm just going to quit, right? She's going to quit. And Probst is like, you sure? And then somebody else says they're going to quit. Two of them. And then Probst is like, okay, I'll tell you what. You're not going to quit now. You're going you're gonna to think about it. And when we get to travel tonight, we're going to talk it through. Right? And you're going to regret this. Blah, blah, blah. Everyone's going to say you're going to regret this, which is kind of maybe true. And she's going to quit. You'd think that she would just give up her place on the reward and somebody else would go because, you know, she's going to quit. She's going to go back to the lodge, whatever, and get all fixed up and eat food. Like, she's out of the game. Other people haven't eaten in, like, 20, 30 days or whatever, right? And uh, she's like, no, I'm going on the reward. She heard, she's saying the testimony. Yeah, I know. I think maybe some people thought I should quit, but it's like I won the reward, so I want to go. So like, so anyway, so it's like she didn't. Yeah, she was not ingratiated. Um, didn't ingratiate mm. herself. So that happens. Like they they do not. They, there are some people who just come on, and that's the comment. They're like, yeah, I think someone's here. That guy's not really here to play the game. So it's like, you know, like that that becomes that becomes part of the calculus too of of like how. And they the, obviously the show tries to screen that out. They don't want to bring people on like that. But I mean, you know, it's really you just never know how you're going to react when you're taken out of like, you know, like Kansas and then you're put into like Fiji, 
with no electricity, no air con, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like you're living in bugs and stuff. So, uh, I think uh, I think what you've done here is I wouldn't consider myself like a huge comic book nerd or anything like that, but I do I like talking to people who know shit that I don't know, and I almost okay. like to it's instead of. I think I'd rather enjoy just you telling me about Survivor than me actually watching it, to be quite <laughs> honest, because I find it more enjoyable. Um, just like there's movies out there that, like, there's some Will Ferrell movies that I think that are whatever, but if a buddy of mine is acting out scenes from set movie, I'm dying in laughter, right? So, And there's so there's a few things, there's a few genres of music, there's a few, like, industries, like, um, you know, like, my, my dad the other day, you know, was talking to his buddy about how plywood is made and it was just fascinating to me. I would never want to go to a plywood factory or a forest to see how it's made. But so there's certain things that I enjoy um, someone else talk about because A, they're passionate about it. They, they spin it in a different way where like, you're not, the way you're talking about survivors, not how E news would describe it, right? They're more of a tabloid and they're just going to get to the nitty gritty. You're, you're talking about like, yeah, you're, you're talking games within games that things aren't. And, and, you know, same thing when people are talking to me about, you know, um, Avengers. And I remember when they picked Thanos as the evil villain, I'm like, Oh, that's bullshit because I know enough about comics to know that I don't think Thanos was a great, you know, villain. Like, oh no, but you don't understand because in this issue of Avengers, Thanos did this. I'm like, all right, cool. And someone just, you know, spent the next half hour explaining to me about the history of Thanos and the, the rival between him and Thor and, and, you know, and so on and so forth. So, um, there's anything you, you've sold me on that. 